Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. If you have your Bibles, turn to Second Kings, Second Kings, the third chapter. And within this chapter, the whole chapter, is a message I used to teach some, I think, 12, maybe even 15 years ago that I first heard opened up by our friend Ed Delt, who lives in, uh, is from Phoenix, Arizona, but he's all over the world now, major, 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 major international speaker, speaking to 20 and 30 and 50,000 people at a time. Still a good buddy. He wants to, he's going to come through here at some point. But he spoke on this chapter and uh, not on the same thing that I'm speaking on. There's just a ton of stuff in this. And quite frankly, I don't know how far I'm going to get. I may just stop in one aspect of it. But I want to say something without trying to sound um, uh, super spiritual. I've had, okay, I'm just going to say, last night or this morning, I, I don't have the freedom yet to share what I was told. But I was woke, I, you know, there's all the difference in the world between things popping up into your spirit or into your mind because you've watched something, you've read something. All I know is this, at 4.14 in the morning, I had a visitation from God. For real. I mean, for real. It shocked me. I was instantaneously wide awake, and I mean wide awake, and I mean instantly God began to pour stuff into me and share something about this next season and about my life. And you know, I'm not quote-unquote a prophet. But the t- few times that this has happened to me, at the risk of sounding whatever it might sound like, I've never seen it not happen. Because it's been rare with me when I've heard God this clearly. But I'm telling you something. As sure as I'm sitting here, and I know you've heard this phrase many times, but I really want you to hear me when I say that change is upon us right now. I mean, huge dramatic change is in front of us right now. I don't know when exactly. I don't even care. But I was spoken to so clearly that I, I, you know, I barely, I couldn't, I just fought. Well, I didn't fight because I was just, my spirit was just rolling and rolling. And immediately, because I have a quick mind, I started to try to figure it out. God spoke to me again and said, shut up. He said, don't overthink this. Just receive what I've shown you. So I, I, and I know it sounds funny. Well, what did he show you? What did he show you? I can't say it yet because I don't, I'm still processing it. And I've learned over the many years when God shows you something, one of the worst things you can do sometimes is try to talk to everybody else about it. Because if he spoke to you, he'd, you know, it's difficult for you to communicate to someone else what he spoke to your spirit. But I, I am as excited as I've ever been in my Christian experience. And I'm not trying to hype anybody up, hype anything up. But I'm telling you, change, good change. Because everything from God is good. Believe me. I mean, change is upon us. I mean, you talk about a shift of seasons. What's the potential, what's being offered? To us right now, if we will hold the course, you hear me? If we will hold the course, like Scripture says, 
Let none of them break rank. Just continue to stay where we are. Trust God. Trust God. Do everything you can as an individual to stay in alignment with the Holy Ghost and with heaven. I'm telling you, it's right there. It's right in front of us. A shocking, shocking, stunning change of affairs for the body of Christ. But also uniquely for us as the church. There's something very personal. I mean, deeply personal that God spoke to me about last night that was going to affect us all. And I'm just saying, so would you just keep me in prayer as well? I'm not trying to be corny. If you know me, I'm not trying to be melodramatic. It's just that it was such a holy moment. I haven't had one of those, that kind of a thing happen to me in, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 years or something. I don't know. But it, it was awesome. So I, did, I want you to smile. And I, I really want you to understand your God is a good God. Really. And I don't care what kind of hell you've recently experienced, what kind of hell you may be going through right now in your life. I don't care. And you know what? The funny thing is, to a degree, I have to say this carefully, God doesn't care. Because God already knows He's a bit bigger than your problems. And His solutions are so overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly bigger than our problems. That remember, it just takes a little sniff from his nose to part the Red Sea. He can take care of you in a microsecond. So, hallelujah. Just keep me in prayer. If God releases me to speak to it, I will. But just, you know, allow me the benefit of the doubt here. It's something that's, I'm just, you know, it's, I'm, I, I'm actually, that's why I'm spinning around here. This stuff is at work in me so strong. I'm not trying to sound super spiritual, but this stuff is boiling to me right now is what he said, and I'm having difficulty trying to go, how do I preach a message? This is why I might just shut up, have Ann come up here and sing over everybody, right, Ann? Have David dance, do, his, do, some, do a rap routine. Finally get Kieran's lady to come up and sing. Hallelujah. you got a song that David can play the keys to, we'll do it in a little bit. Hallelujah. Say what? She can play? All right, well, be ready, girl. I may call you up here in a little bit. I tell you, we're talking about spontaneous around here. Second Kings. Let me just try to pray a prayer here, and let me see what, if I, I see what I can do with what, what time I want to give this. Hallelujah. Father, I give you so much praise for the, your, that you're just so good. And I ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, to help me do what I should do this morning as far as these verses. Father, um, speak through my mouth. Take my mouth. And say what you would want to say this morning. Shut it up when it needs to shut up. Have it speak up when you want it to speak up. Spirit of God, take my voice in whatever direction you want. In the name of Jesus. 
This is your church. And we so want you, Jesus, as the head pastor of this church. And Spirit of God, we know that you're the one that's here. You're in us. You're around us. You're everywhere. And I just trust you for your help as we just look a little bit here. And again, please help me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Second Kings 3, the Amplified Bible. It talks, it's going to talk about what I call a three kingdom confederation that takes place between Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, Joram, who's doing evil in the sight of the Lord, but he's the king of Israel. Joram is Ahab's son. So you can kind of take it from there that the guy's kind of funky. But nevertheless, he's the king of Israel. Anyhow, let me read, and I'll see what we can get to, because I think there's just one thing I want to speak to. It says in verse 4, let's start at verse 4, if you put it up on the screen, Second Kings 3, starting at verse 4, kind of begins to tell the story. It says, Misha, get up, yeah, king of Moab, was a sheep master, and he paid in tribute to the king of Israel, that's Joram, he paid in tribute to the king of Israel annually 100,000 lambs and 100,000 rams with the wool. That's because they'd been conquered by Israel, and this was what they were supposed to be paying them every year as a fee because of them being conquered. Verse 5, But when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. Verse 6, so King Joram went out of Samaria at that time, and he mustered all Israel. Then he sent to Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat, like it says, the king of Judah, the northern king. He's the good God. This Jehoshaphat is a man of God. He's a man who follows after God. Joram is, quote-unquote, in the family of Israel, the family of God. But as it says in verse, well, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 and 3, maybe I should read those. Joram's, sorry, go all the way back to verse 1. Joram, son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned 12 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother. Now, it was not as bad as Ahab and Jezebel. You can't get much worse than Ahab and Jezebel, believe me, when you study Scripture. Deji at the mandate here was sharing about the spirit of, De uh, spirit of uh, Jezebel, I want to have you. A lot of heavy stuff, to say the least, about Jezebel. But he said, but anyhow, the major sin of Ahab, when you put it all together, is just outright, outright flagrant idolatry in every single form as far as how he would be taking God's people and sacrificing people under, under false gods, burning babies, all kinds of wonderful, ugly stuff like that. Verse 3 says, well, I'm sorry, verse 2 again, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the pillar of Baal. That means the highest of the high places. There's, they used to worship their gods in what were called high places. And there was one place that was incredibly high, and he left that one alone. But anyhow, verse 3 says, Yet he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. He departed not from them. And that's more idolatry. Anyhow. Back down to verse 7 and verse 6. So, King anyhow, so the king of Moab has rebelled against Joram, the king of Israel. <clears throat> and because of that, verse 6 again, so King Joram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. And he sent to Jehoshaphat, the good king, God the king, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to war against Moab? <clears throat> Excuse me. And he said, I will go, 
I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Like I said, any Bible teacher or scholar, it's tough. All the, There's so many teachings here, and this is like one about here you've got a man of God that's a king, and here you've got a man that's in the kingdom that's in a place of rulership, but he's wild, miles and miles away from God. But because he's still in the country and the family of God, this good king still says, you know what? If you're in trouble, I'm with you. My horses are like your horses. I'm with you. That's something else that Ann will teach on another time. All right, Ann? Thank you. You will. Good girl. <laughs> That's true. Hallelujah. Now I'm scared. Um, so Jehoshaphat says in verse 7, he said, I will go. I am as you are. My people as your people. My horses as your horses. Verse 8, Joram said, which way shall we go up? Jehoshaphat answered, the way through the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah. Now it introduces the third king and the king of Edom because they went through this area and they brought the king of Edom with them. It says they made a circuit of seven days' journey. They're on their way to Moab. They made a circuit of seven days' journey, but there was no water. Everybody say no water. We'll see where we go. But there was no water for the army or for the animals following them. Then the king of Israel, this is Joram, the guy that's away from God. He goes, alas, that means, oh my God, that means, oh, crikey. The Lord has called us three kings together to be delivered into Moab's hand. And in other words, when the trial, the test comes, they're out in the desert, remember, right? They're in the desert. There's three armies and... Oh, Joram's kind of happy that he's got Jehoshaphat with him and his armies, and now he's got Edom, the king of Edom, and his armies. They get out here in the desert. They know they're about to confront Moab, who had a huge army, though he'd been defeated before by the collaboration of Israel and Judah. But the first thing he says, when the problem arises, there's no water for this mighty army and the horses and everything. First thing he says, oh, my God, you know, we're going to fail. I mean... God's brought us out here to kill us. I'm just, and so let me just start by saying that's not really what God does. You don't, when you find yourself in a horrific situation, when you find yourself in a test or a trial, I just want to say this as simply as I can. It's not from God, and God's not trying to kill you. So just get that out of your mind, all right? It's not from God. You know the verses, like in the book of James, let no man say when he is tempted, tested or tried, that he's tempted or tested or tried from God. For God cannot be tempted, tested, or tried with evil. Neither will he tempt, test, or try any man with evil. Amen? So it don't come from God. Hallelujah. Plain and simple. So the problem is there's no water. Now Jehoshaphat, there's a different attitude on him because he's close to God. The first thing he says is what in verse 11? Look at the first part of the sentence. What does it say? But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here? By whom we may acquire of the Lord. In other words, when a problem comes, the first thing he says is, Where is the word of God? Where is the word of God? The first thing you do when you find yourself confronted by an issue is you, you race to God. You race to what God says, not what you feel, not what you think, 
the race to what God says. Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here by whom we may inquire of the Lord? And of course, remember, they're out in the desert, ain't no water nowhere. And then it says, one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Elisha, son of Shaphat, who served Elijah, is here. Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. Now, I just love it because I... You know, I'm I'm imaginative. I, I like I I have a runaway imagination at times. I really do, and I love it. Sometimes I hate it because I have to. I had to learn how to quote unquote. Dare I use the word channel? I had to learn how to channel it towards God. But I get a big time imagination, uh, and it just it just cracks me up. Here they are. They're out in the desert. Joram's freaking out. His army's freaking out. Jehoshaphat said, "Well, well where's is, is there a prophet in the land? All we need." We're up against an issue, but all we need is a word from God. We're up against an issue, but my first thought is, duh, is there a prophet in the land? Where's the word of the Lord? And I like the fact that, you know, then one of uh, Joram's servants says, uh, Elisha, which is a fair to Midland prophet, folk. You hear me? Elisha is a fair to Midland prophet. I'm trying to say he's a very strong prophet. He just coincidentally happens to be having a holiday in the middle of the desert where there ain't no water. He's just out there rocking away, listening to iTunes. You know, he's just rocking himself around. You know what I mean? Hallelujah. <laughs> but I mean, it's just, if you take time to walk through some of these Old Testament stories, it is amazing how God's always near. He's always near. And if you don't feel Him, I guarantee you, the Bible's near you. Always. A good friend is near you. Always. Remember Bobby's testimony about calling Tina? Over and over again, and I'm still trying to get Deji to release Tina's phone number to everybody in the church so that she can inherit an incredible ministry. Right, Deji? Amen. Praise God. He said he's asking his wife to yield to his great wisdom in that one. Anyhow, let me go on. But Jehoshaphat, verse 11, but Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here by whom we may inquire the Lord? One of the kings of Israel's servants answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, who served Elijah's here. Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So Joram, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to Elisha. And you got to love a real prophet's attitude towards a leader or anybody else who's out of the will of God. Uh, like I said, this is another area that I'll let Julie teach on sometime. I'll get away from Anne for a moment. Elisha said to the king of Israel, Joram, the guy that's out of the will of God, you know what I mean, still serving out, what have I to do with you? In other words, what do you want from me, dude? You ain't getting zipped from me. He said, what have I do to you? Go to the prophets of your wicked father Ahab and your wicked mother Jezebel. In other words, like, you know, get haste. I could say it in, in American slang, but I would probably get arrested later. But he says, you know, go to, go to the prophets of Ahab and, and Jezebel. But the king of Israel said, no, for the Lord. This is, again, here a guy's attitude who just doesn't see like God's people see. No, for the Lord has called us three kings together to be delivered into the hand of Moab. We're going to die. We're going to get cooked. We've got three whole armies, actually bigger right now. But we're going to die because there's no water. Hallelujah. Anyhow. But um, then verse 14, Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives, 
before whom I stand, surely were it not that I respect the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would neither look at you, I wouldn't even look at you, dude, nor see you, King Joram. And here again is that wonderful, 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 wonderful Old Testament verse that is integral. I don't, I wish I had enough words to share about the depth of what we are supposed to see. And this is why, again, one of the great strong parts of the vision of this church is the music. You hear me? Is the worship. Because, well, look what he said. Elisha said, Were it not that I respect the presence of Jehoshaphat, I would not even look at you. Verse 15, But what? But now? I mean, what do you do with this? Bring me a minstrel. Now think about it. He's a prophet, but he's not prophesied. He's a prophet, but there's no word coming up yet. But what does he say? How? What has he learned under Elijah? What has he learned since that mantle fell from heaven, Elijah's mantle fell on him? What has he learned? I mean, he says, bring me a minstrel. And while the minstrel played, the hand and the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. And see, that's some place where Julie and I have released our faith many, many years ago. And we continue, in Jesus' name, we know that when we have godly musicians, godly minstrels, godly singers who actually want God to be glorified through their giftings, it is a vehicle that begins to change atmospheres to the place where we who get to stand up here can actually receive the hand of the Lord to communicate words, music, does shift atmospheres. Not instruments, but what's in the vehicle that plays the instruments. A minstrel plays. That's, it's, here's Elisha, like I said. You know, he is a stone-cold major prophet. Bring me a minstrel. Hallelujah. That's why sometimes your problems can get changed within 20 minutes of having put on the right worship music. I said sometimes the solution, the peace, anything that you may need from whatever you may be going through can be changed within 15 to 20 minutes because of you putting on the right worship music, the right instrumental, the right anointed stuff. Because somehow, some way, we won't learn fully until we get to heaven, will we? But somehow, some way, it penetrates the atmosphere. And it allows something that's there, but not perceivable yet, not tangible to the spirit of the prophet, to manifest. Can you just picture? I don't know what the minstrel played. I doubt if it was, you know, some song from Three Dog Night. Well, the Rolling Stones, it wasn't any of those. Do you know what I mean? It was probably David. It was probably David Powell. It was probably the spirit that's on David Powell, but it was just there. This is 2,500 years ago. So whatever was on the minstrels back then, see, David's got to have it now. Hallelujah. So what David gets to play today, the hand and the power of the Lord gets to come on me. Yes. I don't care what you say. I receive that in Jesus' name. (laughs) 
But see, you've got to let your... It's not imaginative in that sense, but you've got to be able to receive. This is Bible stuff. This is real. It's not something that's just airy-fairy. God works through these things. We need to see the patterns and the principles. And then we need to explore. We need to go on an adventure in sound. We need to go on an adventure in music. That's again like why we brought Ray Hughes here for that thing, so that we can hear things from people that have been places we've never been yet. That's why he's going to be back with us at Chosen. We want to keep saturating our spirits with information that others have paid high prices for, that, you know, so that we can glean from them. I mean, you're, you're talking about guys, listen, if one guy, remember this kind of a statement, Ray's got 45 years' experience in the area of music. Steve Dittmore has 25, 30 years of experience in, in the area of hanging around the throne of God. When we get around them, we've got 75 years of experience we can learn from of people who have paid prices, in many cases big prices. They're walking in something that a lot of people long to see, long to know, long to experience. And that's why we go and we sit under ministries like that so that our spirit can imbibe some of what we carry and learn ourselves, right? Remember, I don't care how talented we are as a speaker. A lot of people are very gifted communicators. They just seem to be able to knit words together dynamically and perfectly. And again, like I said, I don't care how, how much perfection we have. Technically, as a singer, as a singer or a musician on the keyboard, on the drums, on the guitar, the issue is we still have to, you know. I thank God for musicians that practice often so that they get better. But at the same time, we need those Holy Ghost musicians to be practicing in prayer and practicing in staying in the Word. People who know how to keep praying and say, Father, let your creativity come through me. Let your creativity come through me. Let it come through me in Jesus' name. I was praying the other day for some of our musicians, and um, yes, may not. Well, to me, it was a strong thing. And I heard him say, I, this is what he said to me. It's very simple, so it's maybe not that profound, but I, I just kept praying. He said, as with the writer, he says sometimes it goes from from heart to paper, and as they write, you know, it comes out of their heart to paper. He said, with a musician, it's heart to hand. And I started, and I'm not calling out David all the time, but like I said, I can't help it. I like the guy, and I, I do pray for him. I pray for all of our girls and all the guys as well, but I started to pray for David. I'm thinking, I said, Father, heart to hand. I'm sorry, yeah, no, heart to hand, yeah, heart. And I just kept seeing God pouring stuff in his heart, and then seeing it come out of his hands as he played. Let his heart come out of his hands. Let his heart come out of his hands. And that, that's what God wants for all of us. He wants what's in, you know, he wants to pour into our heart, but you have to expose yourself to his heart. And that's this book. And that's this, this book in prayer. There are no shortcuts. It is this book, and it is prayer. And then, and God will do the same for all of you. And hopefully that's what you want. Listen, his heart through your mouth. That's one of my prayers. Father, let your heart come out of my mouth. Not Rod's opinion, but God's heart. I want God's heart to come out of my mouth when I speak. 
I want God's heart to come out of my musicians when they play. When Angela sings, I want God's heart to come out of her mouth. When Isle sings, I want God's heart to come out of her mouth. All, all, all the girls, all the guys, all of us. Hallelujah. I love it when Sarah plays that food. She turns into another person. She seems so Mike and Mike, so meek and mild-mannered. I mean, I know that, that from her daughters that that's, she's actually a tornado. No. But honestly, I love it when she plays that flute, man. There's a whole other thing that happens. And she comes alive. And she comes alive because she's yielding to something that God's given her that she loves more than she can put into words. But see, I, if you can see the pattern, that's what all of us are supposed to do. We're supposed to find and discover the thing that we just flat love to do. Because every single, there's nobody in here that isn't gifted from God. Remember, like they say, the old bumper sticker, God doesn't make junk. There's something in each and every one of us that fulfills us more than anything else. And God wants to first show you a consecrated version of what that gift is. What it's supposed to mean in God's eyes. And again, as you begin to study and read this book and just read and put yourself in the environment of people that are older than you and the Lord, that's a big deal. You've got to find people that know more than you do. Otherwise, if you surround your, if all you do is surround yourself with people that know the same thing you do, you ain't going very far. You've got to find, you've got to have enough humility to get around people to know more than you do. Okay, that's what I did. <laughs> and believe me, it was, everybody knew more than I did. <laughs> I guarantee you. But you just, but you know what? You welcome that and say, hallelujah. I'm not going to get condemned because this dude knows the Bible 55,000 times better than I do. I say, glory to God, and I start sitting at his feet. That's what I did. Hallelujah. So here's Elisha. The problem is there's no water in the desert. Joram's freaking out. We're all going to die. God's brought us out here to kill us. It's always been God's plan. God's brought us out here to kill us. Well, why don't you start this safari in the first place, Joram? I mean, you know, the dude needs have counseling, you know what I mean? But he says, no, he brought us out here to kill us, brought us out here to kill us. And Joseph said, no, no, no. He said, no, is, is, all we, is there a prophet around? We need the word of the Lord. We need the word of the Lord. And the servant says, well, you know, Elisha, Elisha, Elisha is hanging around. He's just around the corner over there by that, you know, self-service gas station. He's right over there, <laughs> sitting around. Hallelujah. But now watch what happens. So let me read verse 15 again. <clears throat> but now bring me a minstrel. And while the minstrel played, the hand and the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. Verse 16. And Elisha says, now think about this. Thus says the Lord. In other words, this is what God says. Now what's the problem? I just I want to, can anybody remind me what the problem is? Why they're going to the man of God in the first place? What's the problem? There ain't no water. You know why there's no water? You're out in the desert. Anybody ever been to the desert? You ever tried to dig in the desert? I mean, hard, 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 sun-baked. I mean, I come from an area where, I mean, I'm talking about hard, 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 sun-baked earth. So here's the word of them. They need water. So what's God say? Thus says the Lord, make this dry brook bed full of trenches. And so God's wisdom from heaven is, start digging ditches. Now, you're hot. Now, think, you're in the desert, dude. You know what I mean? Over there, often, you know, it gets to 40 degrees centigrade. 
where, the, where this is happening. 40 degrees centigrade is warm. It's not like Nigeria, that's true. I don't know what it no, 40 degrees centigrade is kind of warm. Now tell me, do you, you've got no water, do you want to dig ditches? No. Uh, say what? I'm just picturing all the armies, they look at each other. We come on, we found the man of God, and God, the man of God says, dig ditches. And they all look at each other. I mean, you kind of put yourself in the picture, and they look at each other and go, um, No. I don't want to dig ditches. It's like 40 degrees centigrade out here. I'm not, I don't feel like it. Something in me says, no, I'm already a bit weak. I haven't had any water. But God's word nevertheless said, make this dry brook bed full of trenches. For thus, verse 17, for thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind or rain. In other words, you're not. And here's another little crucial thing. I said, I don't know how far I want to go. You're not going to necessarily see any natural signs of your prayer being answered. A natural thing where you're going to see a lot of, suddenly a lot of clouds come and you get hope. Or suddenly the wind begins to blow up and you begin to think that, you know, clouds are going to come, the rain formations may form. He said, you're not going to see any of that. And see, there has to be something at work in us where we find a place of peace. When we say, Father, when we say that prayer of faith and we say, Amen, that something in us says, That's enough. And we quit instantly looking. You know, those of you who are praying for more finances, you know, and you say, Amen, and you instantly run to the front door and you're waiting for a dog to come up with a little bag with 50 pound notes in it. No. But honestly, you see, our flesh instantly looks for instantly looks for something that might give us, you know, the sense that something's happening. And a real real faith really isn't bothered by what it does see or doesn't see. I'm I'm sorry, but real faith doesn't actually get bothered by what it doesn't see real quick or by what it does see real quick. Sometimes you pray in faith, believing, and things get worse. But you know what? If you're in faith, believing, they're not actually getting worse. I said they're not actually getting worse. You see, God is a spirit. And he moves where faith is. But he's a spirit, so things initiate in the realm of the spirit, the unseen realm. And we have to be ever so careful because what we begin to do is look immediately for something in the seen realm and we get out of faith. We step away from our beliefs. We step away from what we said amen to. Now, that's what we do, whether you like it or not. Remember, I did not write this book. Jesus said, whatsoever you ask the Father, whatsoever you ask the Father, whatsoever you ask the Father, in my name, he will give it you. That's just stone cold categorically what Jesus Christ of Nazareth said. 
the book says, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Right? And so you have to, do, do you believe that? Do, so that begs the simple old question again, do we know what the will of God is? What, if, you see, sometimes you don't know what specific will is, like which color to dye your hair. But the Bible's full of the known will of God. And what people don't understand is when you need specific direction, it's in specific areas, the quickest way to get the specific will of God is to be sure you're doing, doing the known will of God. In other words, just ask yourself, what do I know that I know that I know to be His will that maybe I'm a little slippery with? You know, the sin that doth so easily beset me. The little area that I keep, yeah, I keep, you know, I know to do that, but nah, you know. And we know the Bible says, He that knoweth to do good and does it not to him, it is sin. And it says that everything should be done, you know. What's, and it says, remember, it says, whatsoever is not of faith. I mean, again, I didn't write, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And remember, don't get freaked out by the word sin. Again, it is that, it simply means we're missing it somewhere. It's an archery turn, remember? It means the arrow isn't hitting the bullseye. It's hitting over here somewhere. We're firing, but we're not hitting where we need to hit because we're not in faith. So we do have to really ask ourselves when we say amen. You know, is it amen? Is it so be it? Done. Done busted. I'm not going to ask for that again. I'm going to thank God every time. Basic old faith teaching, but it's still book, still the Bible. Every time it comes up into my mind, what do I do? Thank you, Father. Thank you. You heard me when I prayed back there on April 23rd, 1989. <laughs> you heard me. I said, Amen. It's up there. It's waiting. It's racing towards me. And somehow, I don't know what all the stuff that's in the way, but you'll show me. But you're faithful. It's on its way. And that's how, you know, like um, even this uh, weekend at the men's thing, there were a couple of single men there. And this one guy asked if he could see me. I'd never met with him personally. And he asked if he could see me sometime because he just, you know, he liked others. He said, I really do. I really do want to get married. You know, like all kinds of single people who really want to get married, you know. And it's a classic question from so many. And, you know, you just have to say, well, you know, if, if the thing is, if you, if you are a godly man, and I said, you actually, first of all, are you sure you're looking for a godly woman? As I said, the right woman is a godly woman. And a godly woman will be recognized, not, excuse me, and this is what I said, so forgive me all of you that think I'm rude, but I said, a, a godly woman, you're not going to be drawn to a godly woman because her butt looks good. <laughs> or, so I'm just, you know, sometimes you got to get real. I'm sorry. You know, if, if you're looking for the right boob size, the men over here are saying, Amen, hallelujah. No, 
But honestly, I, it is comical, but it's so deadly serious, though. If the only thing you're looking for, and I, nobody's saying outward attraction isn't important to you, but if that's the first thing you look for, you really miss it. Uh, the right woman is one who fears God. Does she have the real fear of the Lord in her life? The right man isn't the dude that's got enough money so that you can make sure you're taken care of for the rest of your life. He's got to be a rich man. Or whatever. Or he's got to be a... You know what I mean? He's got to be, you know, he's got to look like, I don't know who, Denzel Washington or Paul Newman or who's... I don't know. I don't know what guys to pick anymore. I'm too old. <laughs> but honestly, seriously, do you hear me? You see, we, we, we miss it so easily. And it's just like, it's, the thing is, whatever it is, see, you, can't, you, you have to look for character, not personality. And, you know, some of the most beautiful women on planet Earth may not have an incredible outward attractiveness to them, but you've got to find real beauty. I mean, you've got to understand what is really beautiful. I mean, really beautiful. And same with the women. You have to learn how to. You have to learn how to recognize what is truly handsome, what is truly a good man. But I said the thing is, and I told this young guy, I said, but you know what? I said I, I know this guy a little bit. I said you've got an incredible heart, and you do have an incredible spirit. And I said, you know, the strange thing is, I said of all the years I've been around Judy and I have worked with young people or whatever and seen people that want to get married. I said, the strange thing is, I said, honest to God, it's not just trying to, I said, I'm not trying to just cheer you up. But I said, you know, the funny thing is the fact, the fact of the matter is that right this second, right this moment, your woman is out there right now asking where you are. Because she's there. And ladies, he's there. I said, he's there. If you want him. <laughs> if, if, if you want him. But that's why God works on character first. He, want, he wants to know that you know that you know what it means to be a woman of God. He wants to know that you know that you know what it means to be a man of God. Because he's... Listen, God's always been there realistically, but I'm just saying real churches right now I don't know what that's going to sound like on tape. I really don't care anymore. <laughs> but real churches right now um, better help people to understand that you need, you know, if you, if you want to get married, you need to pay the price to marry the right person. And you need to understand there's no such thing as waiting too long. And, and there's no such thing as, as making a decision that's second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth best. You know what I mean? And making some mistake that you have to deal with for the rest of your life, don't do it. But never ever think, if it's an actual desire of your heart, you bring it to God. And then, you know what? The fact of the matter is, you get to learn how to fight the frustration during the waiting period. Hallelujah. I'm sure there's no single person in there in here that's ever experienced that yet. Right? We will have an altar call for liars. 
I, if I can, I'm not being coarse, but Judy used to, I forget who was it, I think when Judy, I think it was Billy Adams when you worked for, who was Kenneth Copeland's intercessor way back in the beginning was a young, was a woman named Billy Adams, an incredible woman of prayer and intercession. And Judy was her first, like, PA or second, whatever. Judy took care of all those businesses, all the stuff for all these women's conferences way back, I mean, you know, honk of years ago before we met. And it was it Billy that used to, I'm, if I say this wrong, whatever, but Billy used to be very, very frank in her women's meetings with the women about how to dress, what to do. You need to go out and buy yourself new knickers, all kinds. Of, I mean, she sorry, forgive me, I'm in England, i got to be careful, but I mean, she, she would just tell it like it was. But I always remember this one thing she talked about, you know how in the Bible Paul talked about when they're single, about it's better for a man to marry than to burn? You know, it speaks about, in other words, having so much desire in you that you're going crazy, you can't handle yourself. I need a woman now. You know what I mean? Or, I need a man now. I'll take the first guy that walks by. No, but anyhow, but I, I'm sorry, I'm going on a little bit. Julia said that she used to do this thing, this message. She'd say, baby, she, one of the names, I thought she said the name of the message was, burn, baby, burn. <laughs> At some point, you just learn, just keep on burning. <laughs> Just keep on burning, boys. Just keep on burning, girls. But stay faithful to God. And you'll get past that stage. Hallelujah. Well, I've taken way too long with that now. Several people have left already. They're angry with me. Praise God. Hallelujah. There isn't any water out here. We found we're in the desert. I mean, this is kind of a ragged city. We're going to die. There ain't no water nowhere. And you say, go find the man of God, and the man of God, just a slight kind of dude, little, little, you know, mild-mannered Elisha, just happens to be out there. Bring me a minstrel. The minstrel plays, the hand of the Lord comes on, and he says, dig ditches. And like I said, you don't want to dig no ditch, man. And you don't want to, and he says, listen, you'll see no wind, you'll see no rain. There will be no natural indicator. There will be no natural indicator. There will be no natural indicator. That what you're in faith for is on its way. But he says, you know what? Because it's God who loves you, and you've chosen to, to actually ask of God through me, a prophet. He said, verse 17, For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind or rain, yet that ravine shall be filled with water. So you, your cattle, and your beasts of burdens may drink. This is but, no, verse 18, This is but a light in the light of in the sight of the Lord, He will deliver the Moabites also into your hands. In other words, He's going to give you victory. But I think you know what? I'm actually it's already one ten something. I'm not going to go through the rest of it. I'm going to just leave you with one part here. Now, but I do want you to see verse eighteen again. It says, "This is but a light thing," and I want to encourage those of you, even like I just spoke to, if, if you're singles. Or whatever other other area, don't 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 think that the thing you're asking for is too hard for the Lord. Um, no wind, no rain. No wind, no rain. There's no natural indicators. You know, people that know God, like Elisha, he, you know, he has experienced God. He's seen the supernatural, and he goes, "If I had to wait to see something, I would have never seen my God move." God's God. And I've learned, I don't care if there's nothing out here. God can make something out of nothing. He can make something out of nothing. 
So you might be surrounded by, in the natural right now by nothing. But don't, no big deal to God. No big deal to God. Hallelujah. So the final, one, the final thought I'm going to leave you with, though, one of the things that's very strong that I try to speak to in this, you said dig ditches. Now what did they need? They needed water. Say water. Here's one of the supreme truths, I believe, in the Word of God. Listen, are you going to listen to me just for a minute? And we're going to close. We'll be, I'll be closing about literally, probably, real, real, really, four or five minutes, and the worship team will come up. Listen, what do they need? Water. Why does God tell them to dig ditches? You don't have to answer. Why? I mean, they need water. Listen, when you pray or declare or decree a thing, you, may, you, know, you know the verse of the book of Job, decree and declare a thing that it might be established. Or again, you pray the prayer of faith in an area. And when you pray, it says, believe that you receive. But there is a step that, you, you know, faith without works is dead. Right? Is that right? Faith, remember they amplified faith without a corresponding action. Faith without corresponding actions. Faith without an action that corresponds to what you've just said, I say amen to. Faith without works is dead. If you don't have corresponding actions, this is the thing that's so powerful that's throughout Scripture. We need water. The word of the Lord, and you know, what you would want to happen is just suddenly, you know, like, boom, rocks explode, water comes out of everywhere, makes everybody happy, our thirst is quenched. But God says, God's word is dig ditches, and let me just shut up and spit it out. Why should God give you the answer to what you've asked for if you're not, if you haven't made preparation to receive it? If there's nothing, if there's nothing to hold the water, if there's nothing to hold the water, why should God release it? See, in every one of our lives, whatever we're praying about, you have to answer that question for yourself. Am I preparing for that to happen? And again, when it comes like to marriage, am I working on what it means to be a good man? That a, ma a man that a woman of God deserves, really. Am I learning? Am I reading books on marriage long before I'm married? Am I going to seminars? Am I doing, am I just, I want to be a godly man. I want to be the best man a woman could ever have. I want to really know what it means to nurture her to love her, to surround her with aid and affection. I want to provide for her. I, I want to be a man that makes this woman feel so incredibly, utterly adored that there will never, ever be another need for her to look elsewhere, ever, 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 that will just never come into the comprehension of my thoughts, ever. And again, like I said, same thing for the women. Am I actually preparing my spirit? And like we, like we talked about a little bit, Deji brought something up as well about himself and Tina for a moment. I hope, hope Tina doesn't throw rocks or Deji doesn't throw rocks. 
But, you know, but we've talked about this, and Judy's ministered on this as well, really well. Um, again, I forget who it was. I think it was Fred Price's BAM, whatever her name is. Fred Price's this woman that worked for Fred Price's ministry. She, boy, talk about bold. But she'd freak you out. You'd run away with 47,000 red faces if you listen to BAM Crawford. I'm telling you, she told women like it was. Sorry, things are going through my head right now that I remember. But women that are single, they are, you know, they work jobs. And to work well at their jobs, they have to learn how to be independent. They have to learn how to be capable. They have to learn how to be efficient, intelligent, independent, capable, right? And efficient. I-C-E. Ice. Behold, the ice woman cometh. That's what she taught. So here's this woman who's rewarded. She's been single. She's 36 years old. She's been working for however many years of her life. And she's being rewarded for being intelligent, capable, and efficient. And she comes home from work. And her husband's expecting her to be adaptable, polite, yielded. And cook her dinner, cooking dinner, and get to dinner, wash his clothes, and all this kind of stuff. And and you have this, and now we can start preaching the next three hours on that. I shouldn't have brought that up, should I? But I'm just saying, are you making preparation for what you're releasing faith for? Why pour out the water? If there's no well to hold it, if there's no ditch to receive it, hallelujah, are you making preparation? In other words, because if you actually believe that God heard you, the scripture says if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he's heard us, we also know with settled, absolute finality that we have the petitions we've desired from God. We know. We know that the answer is yes and amen. Right? We know. We know we have the petitions. We know God's not a man that he should lie. So if we actually say amen and we believe it, guess what? We make preparation that for that which we've asked for. God why would God send you what you're not prepared to contain? Amen. That's it. I'm done. Worship team, if you come back on up. Amen. Maybe, maybe not. We'll finish the second half of that another time. Lift your hands to heaven for a moment. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Father, I give you thanks again right now for every one of our people. Lord, uh, maybe in the middle of this prayer, I'm going to do a little instruction, but I would just ask, Father, that you'd help us all, all of us who have, have prayed before and have said amen, but yet we've somehow along the way got confused, distracted, or we've stepped out of faith. 
We didn't mean to, but we just did. We don't, we don't really expect it anymore. Or we're being distracted because we keep looking for some natural indicator that something good is happening. Father, I, you're the God. I, I, who, I don't know who said it first. You not, you not only have plan A, but you have plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E. With you and your children, you love them so much, it's never too late. Hallelujah. I mean, and Julie and I have seen that too. It's never too late. So my prayer right now, Father, is for those who have maybe stepped out of faith, been distracted, whatever the issue is, I thank you that you give them a fresh opportunity right now, today, the 28th day of May, 2017, in the name of Jesus, to release their faith afresh. To be able to say amen and mean it. So be it. My God has heard me. It's happening in the realm of the Spirit right now. It's working. God is all the while at work right now. Both to do and to will of His good pleasure. My God is a good God. He loves me. Oh my God, how much you love me. I mean, you love, 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 love. You just flat adore me. You're never going to forsake me. You're never going to see the righteous out begging for bread. You know me and you love me. You know every wart, every barnacle, every carbuncle, <laughs> every blemish, but you love me anyhow with a mad, passionate love. Hallelujah. So, Father, I get to come again in the name of Jesus. And I pray that those who kind of match that issue would know that they have a fresh opportunity, even this morning, to say, Father, here I am. Forgive me for my unbelief. Just be honest. Forgive me for being out of faith, for saying I believe when I didn't really believe. Because your word says, we who believe enter into rest. And I've definitely not been at peace. So forgive me, Father. I ask you to forgive my brothers, my sisters, my friends out here. I thank you that you're quick and able and willing to do so. That you forgive them. You cleanse them from any unbelief. In the name of Jesus, you cleanse them from any unbelief. And you simply help them to make that adjustment in their spirit and say, Father, here I am again. And this time, when I say amen, I'm going to guard my mouth. I'm going to guard my heart. And I know that I know that I know that I know that you will be at work in my behalf. So I'm going to learn, like the Scripture says, I'm going to labor to enter into that rest. I'm not going to labor for a husband. I'm not going to labor for a brand new contract. I'm not going to labor for a wife. I'm going to labor to discover that rest because everything else will come together. I know it will when I find that. So, Father, I pray that for every single person in here, that they'll find that place of rest, that they'll say amen and see your hand move because you're not a man. You should lie. You will show yourself strong on their behalf because your love is absolutely astounding. Amen. 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 All right. God bless. Why don't you stand up then and let's worship.
just with whatever they have. Let's sing a song unto God. And listen to me, though. Let this be seated, you know what I mean, in your spirit, in your heart. Really try to let it be seated, you know, fit in there. You know what I mean? Like a seal when you put something together. Let it seat itself. And uh, when you slip out of faith, just say, Father, forgive me. Nope, nope, nope. Catch yourself. Just catch yourself. God's bigger than your mistake. Did you hear me? God's bigger than your mistake. Just catch yourself and go, nope, nope, nope. No, I prayed. I prayed on May 28th, around 1.15, 2017. I said amen on that day. So I thank you. It's happening. Amen? Amen. All right, let's worship the Lord and then we can be dismissed. Have a great week. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday.